So a simple stimulus, just the words that someone says, it can trigger us, but it's based on attitudes that we've pre-adopted. So the first step is identifying, well, what's that little voice, that little, you know, gremlin that we've got in our head that as soon as we've been triggered, as soon as we feel that emotional response that's been created within us, if we can learn pause and recognise what that thought was, then we know we're in a position to be able to start challenging that thought because the minute you challenge it, the minute you ask, well, is that true? Do I know that to be a fact? already lessening the impact that it has on you so our attitudes create our feelings and thoughts and it can happen at an unconscious level which is then driving our behavior welcome to the self-love podcast the show that helps crack open your heart and inspire a deeper regard for your own well-being and happiness proudly brought to you by 28 essentials here's your host the gorgeous kim morrison Welcome to the Self Love Podcast. This week, I am talking to a beautiful soul. Juliet Dyer is a leadership and life coach who specializes in transformational development through value, clarity, behavioral change, and emotional resilience and intelligence. Beautiful Juliet works with individuals, teams, and leadership groups across Australia who are seeking holistic yet highly effective coaching to eliminate stress and overwhelm let go of self-criticism and self-doubt, and to grow and succeed. Juliet's approach, while left of field and non-traditional, simply gets results. You're going to love this beautiful interview today. She is a beautiful soul. She's an ICF certified professional coach, qualified kinesiologist, master NLP practitioner, master timeline therapy practitioner, and master hypnotherapist. She is trained in acceptance and commitment therapy, is a qualified emotional intelligence coach, as well as a health and lifestyle educator and founding director of the Revitalize Center. While Juliet uses a mix of methodologies, she sees each person as an individual and changes her approach based on what that person or team requires. When Juliet is not working with incredible people, you'll find her out in nature with her gorgeous family. Her story around her family, the resilience, tenacity, strength and courage that she's shown to get through the challenges that they've had from a health perspective is going to blow your mind. I cannot wait to hear what you think about this beautiful interview. Please leave your feedback on my Instagram page, Kim Morrison 28, Facebook, Kim Morrison Training, and of course, you can go to the wellnesscouch.com forward slash self-love podcast And please continue to give those five-star ratings. I know it might take a little bit of time out of your day, but it means the world to me and allows another beautiful soul to fall truly and wholly in love with themselves. Take care and enjoy today's show. It's an incredible privilege of mine and an absolute honor to have with you, as you heard in the intro, a beautiful soul, the amazing Juliet Dial. Welcome to the Self Love Podcast, sweetheart. Thank you so much for having me. You know, it's been an absolute privilege and real amazing honor for me to watch you through the years. I met you through my online program, which became an event that we held on the Sunshine Coast. I've met you a number of times down in Melbourne and just seeing your beautiful clinic and everything grow and evolve, as well as get to know you personally. I have to say, Juliet, it's been a huge an amazing journey, which I would absolutely love if you could just take us back a little bit and let 
the Self Love Podcast listener know a little bit about who you are and how you came to doing what you're doing today. Absolutely. So today I am a leadership and life coach, but there was a long journey that came prior to me doing what I do today. And should we start there, Kimmy, with what my past was? Yes, I think so, because I think that will really help us to get a clear understanding why you're doing the work that you're doing today. Yeah, good idea. Okay. So I have a beautiful husband and two gorgeous children, and all three of those have got a congenital heart disease. And I um, I actually met my husband when he was doing a bike ride around Australia. He went up the centre of Australia and down the east coast on a solo bike ride raising money for the Royal Children's Hospital, specifically for the cardiac unit. And we met in a little town called Marimba. And so I went into this relationship knowing full well that there could be potential for heart issues. Um, but I never knew the impact that it would have on our lives. Um, Stuart and I together then had our beautiful little boy Tyson, and then a few years later had Charlotte. And it turns out that all of them do have this heart disease. And over a span of 10 years, um, we went through multiple heart surgeries. Um, The kids have both had pacemaker insertions. They've both had holes corrected in their heart and a whole range of other things. But also during that time, Stuart started to go downhill with his own heart. He'd had surgeries as a child and in our early years of our relationship and then um, after the kids' surgeries, he then had um, had some pretty serious stuff go on and it, it got to the point where we nearly needed a heart transplant for him and then not so long after that, my little Ty got sick again um, and just one thing kept happening after another and it was, it was for a span of 10 years and I learned a lot about myself during that time. I was um, young, I was 25 when I had my first baby, um, you know, at a time when most of my kids, most of my friends, sorry, were still living at home and I was, you know, a responsible mum with babies. <laughs> but what I learned about myself during this time was that I had an amazing ability to cope with things. What I didn't know though, was that my coping mechanism meant that I pushed a lot of my own emotions to the side. I just dealt with what was going on and I was incredibly um, strong and capable and it's just like, okay, let's keep going, let's keep going. But at the end of that 10-year period, I suddenly fell on the floor. Like I was a mess. I was crying in the car. I was crying in the bathroom when no one would see. I'd never cry with people that were close to me. It was if a random stranger asked if I was okay, I'd, I'd start bawling my eyes out because I felt like I had to maintain this presence of strength. Um, but it turns out my strength was actually my weakness too because my inability to reach out and ask for help, my inability to realise that I wasn't coping was having a really big impact on my life and that's what's actually led me to or that led me to um, the wellness retreat that I met you at Kim and where I first heard you um, I've heard you speak at one of the wellness summits this was this was different this is where I actually got to to talk to you and really tell and speak about what was going on and it was it was the beginning of a new road for me so that's that's a little 
a little bit of a background um, about the family and all the heart stuff. Yeah, I just, I, I'm just, you know, it's easy to talk the story, isn't it? Like you must even find yourself as you tell that story. I'm sure every one of us listening to this can picture you and ourselves lying on our bathroom floor, not being able to speak, but still keeping the strong face, the strong hold for the family and everybody. And I know it's easy to tell the story in hindsight and looking back, but I just, I really want to praise you and really want to just acknowledge how big that journey has been for you. And on behalf of all of humanity, of all families that have children and partners with conditions, particularly around the heart, I just want to say to you, it's, it must have taken a huge heart of yours to actually cope with that. How did you actually endure? Just even hearing you say it nearly got to the point of my husband needing a transplant. I mean, these aren't. this isn't a sniffle or a cold we're talking about. These are life-threatening illnesses. How have you truly shown strength through those times? such a great question it's interesting because when you're going through it you just cope you just deal you just get up and you keep going um the hardest one for me to deal with probably because I felt like I dealt with it more alone was when when Stuart was sick with the kids we had each other to lean on we had the support of each other it was devastating what to see our little ones go through what they did um but when Stuart was sick I had to it was very challenging to be there for the kids but then to also be there for him and I've got to be honest Kim I can't tell you how I got through that it it was just a drive within me to keep moving forward to um to have a I guess actually it was a plan I needed a plan I needed to know what the next step was that I I had something to focus on but I also have an incredible family around me. I have three beautiful sisters and a mum and dad who are the most supportive, most gorgeous people in the world, a beautiful friendship circle. Um, so I was very lucky to have a lot of people around me that did support me that when Stuart was in ICU, you know, the kids the kids could go to a girlfriend's house for a couple of days and be with their friends. So I knew that they were well looked after. Um I had people dropping food off. It was, it's one of those things that in the moment, even reflecting now, I sometimes go, how did I get through that? How did I cope with it? Um, and the other thing I often look at was I'm a very different person now to what I was back then. And I think it's because of those experiences that I suddenly realised the life that I was living back then, it was wonderful, it was full of love, but my own personal self-care wasn't high and I had had to put that to the side a little bit so that I could cope. And through looking after everyone else, I lost a little bit of my own identity. I, I did forget how to look after me and that's what started the transition into creating a new life for myself because I suddenly realised, you know, this is the one life we get given. You know, there's nothing like a wake-up call when you've got three people in your family with a massive heart condition. Um, it really makes you realise that you do have to love each day, appreciate each day and do what you love, do what 
what fills you up. And although I loved and did enjoy my job at the time, I felt a deep need within me to do more with my life. And that's, it started with me needing to, to learn to start to love myself and to put my needs ahead of everyone else, which was a very, very challenging thing when everyone had been so sick and I was so used to looking after everyone else and not looking after me. Oh, I was just talking away to you then and I had the mute button on. (laughs) I um, Talk to us then a little bit about that journey because when we met, you really were, and I don't want to put words into your mouth, um, I wouldn't say depths of despair, but you certainly were in a in a crossroads in a place of really wondering and and I remember you really being I hope I'm not putting words into your mouth but desperate to find a way what was the catalyst what was the thing that made you go down that path and do you think it was it was synchronicity and and serendipity that we met at that time absolutely it was um and I was I was broken at that time um that was one of the lowest points I think I've ever had in my life because all I kept thinking within myself was everyone's healthy what is going on with me I don't have a right to feel like this like I'm the healthy one I'm not the one that went through surgery I'm not the one that went through what each of them went through why am I feeling like this and I was almost it was almost a guilt that I was not coping so what led me down that path was um I was, it was the summer and I had, I had convinced myself that um, I was eating unhealthy. I put on some weight over all those years. Um, I hadn't looked after myself in that I thought in my deluded state that <laughs> I had to drop weight. And the way that I was going to drop weight was I was going to learn how to eat healthy. I was going to learn how to cook, you know, clean food. Um, and I actually went to that wellness weekend thinking it was all about learning how to look after my physical body what I didn't realize was that I had to learn how to look after my emotional self my mental self um my spiritual self and when I met you Kim you were actually one of the talks that you were doing you were talking about loving yourself and when was the last time that you rubbed your thighs and thanked them for walking you through life and um you were talking about all the beautiful things that you do in regards to self-care. And I sat there, I was in the back row and I was sitting next to my husband and tears were rolling down my cheeks and Stuart just grabbed my hand and squeezed it and I was just like, when was the last time I gave myself some love that I, I said thank you to me or I acknowledged everything that I'd been through? All I kept telling myself was, I didn't have a right to be emotional that, you know, I wasn't the one that had gone through anything and I just, I kept pushing it away. And hearing you talk that day really made me realise that it was time to put my own needs first. It was time to connect back in with who I was. Um, And I didn't realise that was what I needed until you walked into my life. She's pretty powerful. I, I just actually got a little bit teary hearing you say that because I remember your face. I remember seeing you and, and then we talked. 
And I just, you know, I hear so many women talk like this. I see it so often and I'm sure you do in your work as well. And it's it's nobody's fault. It's not even a case of martyrdom. It's I think it's a case of lost identity, lost lost sense of self. And that's just through our natural ability to want to give and serve and make sure everyone else is happy. What would your advice be to someone listening to this going, I so hear myself in your story, Juliet, but I don't know how to get out of this. I don't know what to do. And my gosh, this is the first time I've actually even acknowledged this. What's your advice? I think that the first step is, well, number one, acknowledging that you're not in a great space, that you have been giving yourself to everyone else but haven't been giving to yourself. Once you can see that that's a behaviour that you've adopted, it's about tweaking what you're doing in your life. So starting to actually think about yourself and putting yourself in the equation. So often it's like, well, what does everyone else want to do? It's just pausing, taking a moment and going, well, hang on a second, what do I want to do? Because when you're suddenly in the equation, you start thinking about your needs, your wants, and it becomes about identifying the attitudes that you've adopted that keep reinforcing the old behaviour that you no longer want to continue with. So it might be... um, one of my one of my patterns was um, to always put the kids before me, to always put Stuart before me. Um, and I suddenly realised, well, that doesn't help because I come home from work and if I'm going straight into the next thing, I end up being grumpy and then I'm being you know, <laughs> a bit snappy with the kids and stuff like that. So one of the things I recognised when I put myself in the equation was when I get home from work, I am a little bit tired. I need, I need a micro moment. Um, I call them micro moments of self-care. And for me, it was make myself a cup of tea, sit on the couch and tell the kids I need five minutes. And they used to respect that time because I was a better version of me after I had those five minutes. And that's what I mean by tweaking. It's it's looking at what you're currently doing and going, well, where can I fit in those micro moments of self-care? Where can I start putting myself in the equation? Because when you start looking at your own needs, you suddenly become aware of, well, what are the feelings that are sitting behind that? What are um, the behaviours that those feelings are starting to create? What is my mind telling me? And when you start to get that kind of information, you can start making decisions based on it because you're going with fact instead of assumption. Yeah, I think that's really powerful. Do you think, though, when you're in the depths of it, when you're really struggling, you're exhausted, you're tired, I just found for me the hardest thing of all is is creating the space to even give yourself time to think. But what I've noticed over time, and thankfully I don't do it so much now, if I don't, my body, my soul will create the space. I'll either collapse, I'll injure myself, I'll, when I say collapse, I'll fall into a heap, I'm exhausted, I get sick. It's almost like your body tells you if you don't listen, doesn't it? Yep, absolutely it does. Something will interfere or intervene, stopping you, like making you stop. Mm. And so when that happens and what you've noticed over the time that you've grown and educated yourself and become aware of that, how did the family respond to you maybe not putting them first every time? Was it received well or was that something that they took offence to? Like how did that work? 
So all my family didn't actually notice in that I did it in a way where I communicated to it. So it wasn't that I suddenly had completely changed and neglected everyone or anything like that because I started tweaking my actions or tweaking um, my days. It became small little changes. So by bringing in small little things, what that means is it's lasting because I wasn't relying on motivation and I wasn't relying on willpower to, to keep those changes in place. It became part of every day, so almost like a ritual. Um, and so as a result, they got used to seeing me just doing these little things. It might be that I put on my essential oils in the morning. It might be that um, I sat out in the sun and I would include them with what I'm doing or with what I was doing. And another main thing that I, I ensured that I always did was communicate. So I wouldn't leave it up to assumption that they would understand or, you know, so that I would assume they would know what I was doing. I'd actually say, hey, guys, I need, I'm going to go have a bath. I need to relax. Or, hey, guys, I'm going for a walk. Does anyone want, need to come with, does anyone want to come with me? Because I need to clear my head. Um, it was about bringing them on the journey with me and not changing my normal day-to-day -day stuff to a point where it wasn't manageable, but just making small little changes that became the new way of showing up each day. Yeah, I think you've made a really important point. I, I used to call, well, I call them triple M's, micro moments of mindfulness. I love, oh, I love your that. micro moments of self-care. I think they're all really, um, it's just, I think the point is, and what we're both teaching is allowing people to do small things often. And like you say, it then becomes not only a routine, it actually becomes part of your self-care rituals. So let's keep going through your life's journey then. You've done programs, you've educated yourself. Tell us about some of the programs that led you into educating yourself more so that you could come out the other side. So it started with your beautiful program, the Health and Lifestyle Education Program. Um, halfway through your program, I decided I wanted to move into kinesiology. The reason I did that was because with Tyson's with the last sort of health-related issue Ty had, it was a mix of kinesiology and chiropractic care that got him better again. He was at a point where he literally couldn't walk. He was wheelchair-bound and excruciating pain for three months. And um, it was through that alternative method that he actually started coming back to vibrancy. And I'd never heard of kinesiology before, so I then went and... I finished your program, I think a month or two later, I, had, I started my kinesiology diploma. I, from there, I started practicing kinesiology and I got to a point, what I love about kinesiology is about the transfer of energy throughout the body, bringing up awarenesses. But for me, emotions, because of everything I went through and all the emotions that I felt and the impact that they had on my life, I had a really strong desire to learn more and to and to move into that field of emotions so my next port of call was um, studying my NLP and my timeline therapy my hypnotherapy and and moving all the way up through that um, becoming a master a master practitioner um, for hypnotherapy becoming a trainer all 
just constantly educating myself about that connection between mind and body and the impact that emotions have on us. I then went and studied, um, I've done some study on acceptance and commitment therapy, which is an offshoot of positive psychology. I've become an emotional intelligence practitioner. I have my um, professional coaching certifications. And so today what I do is I, I have a very strong focus on emotional intelligence, helping people build their emotional intelligence and um, supporting them through that journey. I do a lot of work with individuals. I do a lot of work with corporate companies. Um, but essentially it's being that supporter, that facilitator that helps people let go of um, reactive behaviour and helping them learn how to be um, responsive instead. So it's teaching people how to take control of their emotions instead of their emotions controlling them, which can have the biggest, biggest impact on your life once you learn how to be in that driver's seat. It's so true. And, you know, I hear it often. Um, we just are not taught and I'm not blaming anyone here. It's almost like our parents' parents were told, you know, to be seen and not heard. Um, you weren't allowed to voice your thoughts, feelings or emotions, which then made perhaps our parents a little, it was unsure. Even in my mother's day and mother and father's day, seeing a psychologist was almost seen as a sign of weakness. But then come along us in our generation and we've almost made it trendy and it's almost, it, well, it's beautifully accepted. And in fact, it's almost embraced now. The more work you do on yourself, the more therapy, the more, you know, change work, the more involved you are with understanding your emotions, the more intelligent you become. Is that true? And if so, how is it emotional intelligence could even be seen as the pinnacle above even, in, uh, you know, physical and intellectual intelligence? Yeah. I'll start with that first. So IQ is what's required of someone to have the technical skills to be able to complete their job so that they can rise up within the company. Um, but then when we're looking at AI, the emotional intelligence component, that's what's required of people for um, learning how to have relationships with others. So as you move further up within an organisation or, you know, um, it's about, relationship management not so much about the technical skills because it's you're managing people you're managing um you know not only are you someone's leader but you're you're looking after them in regards to you know leaders have people come up to them with all their personal problems <laughs> they're dealing with the politics within the businesses and when they're in control of their emotions um what we're finding is it brings a sense of calm so Instead of being hijacked by their amygdala, you know, by suddenly, um, and this happens to parents, this happens to mums, this happens to everyone, where suddenly you've you've had a massive emotional explosion, and then two seconds later you're sitting on your head, hitting yourself on the head, going, "Oh my god, I can't believe I just said that." Um, you know, you've been taken over by your emotions, but when you learn how to control your emotions. You're sitting in your prefrontal cortex. You're able to clearly articulate what it is that you want to say. 
Um, you're not being fueled by emotions where it's irrational or, um, you know, coming from perhaps a negative place. You're able to not sweat the small stuff. And most importantly, you've adopted an attitude of I'm okay, you're okay, which means there's no judgment. You're in absolute acceptance of people for who they are and you're acknowledging that each of us has a different view on the world and you're respecting that review, that view of someone. So having a high emotional intelligence, and, you know, luckily emotional intelligence is something that we can build, benefits everyone in your personal life in your and in your working life. Most people's problems stem from an emotional point of view, be it relationships, be it family, and we don't have to go far to find things that trigger us, be it family or at work. <laughs> <laughs> the triggers, it's, it's something that sends people over the edge. Is that coming from a place of judgment, ego? Is it intellect over emotions? Is it that amygdala hijacking us again? What happens? What's your thoughts? Could you explain how and why people from, you know, erratically driving and road rage right through to something that your family member says and, and you lose your, your shizzle, as Karen Smith would say, <laughs> what is it that causes these triggers? So a really beautiful model that explains it is called the safety, um, safety BO model. And what that explains is that it comes from your attitude. So it comes from pre-adopted attitudes that we've got on board. And that attitude, so something might happen at work where um, or at home where someone said something that has triggered an attitude within you or thought of I'm not good enough or or they don't like me anymore or I'm not pretty enough, I'm not smart enough, any of those sorts of attitudes, thoughts that we have in our head, right? That attitude then creates feeling within us. So it might be um, a feeling of sadness or um, embarrassment, whatever it might be that creates the thought, well, they don't like me. And so from that thought, that then creates a behaviour which might be to withdraw because we've convinced ourselves that that person doesn't like us. And then that creates an outcome, which might mean that people think that we're, um, we're not connecting with people and we're, we're staying away from them. So a simple stimulus, just the words that someone says, it can trigger us, but it's based on attitudes that we've pre-adopted. So the first step is identifying, well, what's that little voice, that little you know gremlin that we've got in our head that as soon as we've been triggered, as soon as we feel that emotional response that's been created within us, if we can learn to pause and recognise what that thought was, then we know we're in a position to be able to start challenging that thought because the minute you challenge it, the minute you ask, well, is that true? Do I know that to be a fact? Already lessening the impact that it has on you. So our attitudes create our feelings and thoughts and it can happen at an unconscious level, which is then driving our behaviour. So... And it's that unconsciousness, isn't it, that yeah. I think when you're talking about the emotional intelligence, a lot of that is actually driven by those emotions, beliefs, personalities, filter systems that we all have within us. Is it possible in your mind to change those attitudes, beliefs, and, and even personality? Is it possible to change all of that? And if so, 
Does it require a huge amount of work and willingness in your opinion? So um, personality is who we are. Um, so it's it's learning to manage our personality that's not working for us in the way that we want it to. But for all the other parts, our beliefs, yes, it can be it can be changed. You can you can um, take control of them. But it does take work. It doesn't happen overnight, and it's continual work. But it's it can be a fun journey if you bring lightness into it. Um, if you tell the people around you what you're working on, if you put support mechanisms in place, it doesn't need to be challenging. It's just about creating um, self-awareness. So recognising when your thoughts are taking control of you, when those attitudes are playing out, and then starting to bring in the discipline, so actually taking action because awareness is one thing, right, but awareness is nothing without action. I grew up with my dad saying, do something and something will happen, do nothing and nothing will happen. Well, that's the same with AI. If you're aware that you're behaving in a certain way, you need to take the action to do something differently. And that's where by continually having the discipline to do the same, repeat that action over and over every time it comes into your awareness, you'll start changing your behaviour patterns. Give us an example or maybe tell us one of your uh, beautiful outcomes with a client you've worked with, perhaps they've had a long-standing emotional condition or maybe there's something that you've had an experience with with one of your clients. Could you give us an example of how someone has really come out the other side of maybe what they felt was a no-hope situation? Absolutely. I um, had a beautiful client today who is in the habit of looking after everyone else. She has, um, she's got three or four kids. Um, two of those kids have got medical conditions. So it's a very similar story to myself. Um, she's working and she's just got the most beautiful, biggest heart and she's so busy looking after everyone else that she's actually forgotten to look after herself in this equation. When we went through and looked at the emotional intelligence component, what we saw was that her self-regard, which is one of the components of AI, was really low, but her regard for others was really high. Um, so what that means was that she was busy putting everyone else's and looking after everyone else, but not looking after herself. She had a massive aha moment today because it was actually just saw her today. and Her aha moment was... She didn't realise that self-regard was self-care. She didn't realise that it was about bringing in that self-compassion, that self-kindness, that filling your own cup. You know, we used that um, metaphor of a mobile phone. If you're on it all day, it run, the battery runs out and each night it needs to be plugged back in, right, so you can recharge its batteries. She had completely taken herself out of the equation and was just, firing through but she was getting to a point where she was feeling like she was losing control she was exhausted she had a lot of stuff going on in her life and the thing that actually got her was she's like felt a lot of guilt in the mornings if she wanted to um have a cup of tea in bed and just have five minutes before the day started and then she started talking about oh my goodness you know one of my children he brings me he brings me my cup of tea in the morning um, he taught himself how to do it. He's nine years old because he's looking after her and it suddenly dawned on her, I'm teaching him how to look after everyone around but not look after himself. 
And when she saw the correlation between her son doing the same thing at a young age that she's doing herself in that, you know, he was getting up at 6 o'clock so he could make her a cup of tea so she could relax. She suddenly went, oh, my goodness, I'm modelling for him how not to look after yourself, how to look after everybody else. And so when we spoke about, you know, when you look at the bigger picture, not only as a mother are you doing this for yourself, teaching yourself how to look after yourself and your own needs, you're actually modelling that behaviour for your kids so they can see that it's not selfish to look after yourself, that it's something that you actually need to do is learn how to plug yourself back in. And so, you know, that's one example of one client. Other clients, it's... um, people who are really snappy with their teenagers and they fight back to taking everything on board personally. But when you teach them how to come from a place of calm, suddenly they're not taking it personally. They've let go of judgment, let go of assumptions, and they're just hearing the teenagers out. And what it's done is it's developed these relationships where suddenly the kids are talking to them about stuff that they've never spoken to about before because the reactive behaviour from the parent is gone and they're opening up a space where their kids can come and talk to them knowing that they won't be judged. So as a parent, that's just, that's gold to be able to have that with your kids. So building your AI, Kim, it's, it helps on so many different layers, you know, from self, self-care self to bringing in that calm and developing stronger relationships with those you love most. It, it helps on, on so many levels. Who are you working with mainly in this day and age? I mean, you're down there in Melbourne, in Victoria. You guys have had the toughest time as far as lockdowns and businesses and families so affected. How? Who is your main customer now? And is it a lot of people from Victoria? Um, yeah, I work with people all over Australia. Um, I do a lot of Zoom calls. My main base is in um, in Victoria and Probably a large majority of my clients at the moment are corporate um, are leaders, senior leaders. I do see private clients as well, but it's the same theme that works whether you're, you know, a senior leader or whether you're a stay-at-home mum. Everyone's experiencing a lot of stresses at the moment, but the, the common theme is being able to catch those thoughts in your head and learning to recognise the stories that you're telling yourself and putting actions in place to start to disprove those stories. Um, You know, there's just a lot of heartache in Melbourne, in in Melbourne, all around Australia, really everywhere around the world, but in, in Melbourne particularly there is, there's a lot of anger, there's a lot of heaviness here, there's a lot of sadness, um, there's a lot of frustration, there's a lot of anxiety. There is a massive mixed bag of emotions and everyone you talk to um, has an opinion on something or is angry about something or is upset about something. Um, you know, So what I'm teaching a lot of my clients is to honour who they are and to do them, to just do you. Um and to be okay with being who you are, not needing to judge others, respecting others, respecting other people's opinions. And when you remove that that heaviness of those emotions, um, 
it just it does the word calm keeps coming up that's what it brings in calm you're, you're better able to show up you're better able to deal with what's going on in the world um it's it's uh, I, I think it teaches you to be a better communicator it, it teaches you how to look after yourself better and it teaches you um to let go of some things you know like we can hold on to the onto the smallest things and and you know get on our high horse about something but really at the end of the day it, that doesn't help anyone or any situation so it's about learning what battles to fight learning what battles to let go of um and ultimately just learning what works for you and what it is recognizing within your own body what you need in each given moment i'm finding more and more that the more people detach from the mainstream narrative whether it's news media watching some sort of drama or living out, watching other people's lives on television or on Netflix or whatever, the people that are really starting to research more, read more, listen to informative podcasts, educate themselves more, those that seem to be detaching themselves from that mainstream narrative, would you agree with me that you're noticing a shift in that emotional intelligence where people are actually unplugging themselves from what could be seen as very fear-driven? Yeah, absolutely. It's putting them, um, well, number one, by unplugging from watching the media every night, reading every newspaper, social media, whatever it is that's coming up, right, because that keeps reinforcing a negative, a negative stimulus. So it's reinforcing, you know, the, that attitude, that feeling, thought, behaviour, outcome model. So by by clearing that already, you're getting rid of one loop. But by educating themselves, what you're doing is you're putting yourself in a position of power because knowledge is power. And often people are frustrated or angry, upset because they don't know something. So when they start, when you start exploring um, and educating yourself on different topics on what's actually going on, well, then you're in a position to make an informed decision. you're not in that space of I don't know it's in that space of this is what's right for me and you can make a decision that works for you personally you're not relying on someone else to give you the information Mm. I think it's powerful that and even itself do you feel then in this day and age let's think about these young beautiful teenagers I'm always concerned there's there's two groups of people I've been mainly concerned with over the last two years one is our teenagers because you know, their life isn't the box of roses and the beautiful, joyous out there expressing and living your life in the most free, amazing way, particularly as we finish school. And the other group is, you know, the the 30 to 40-year-olds where they, the single ones, where maybe that's the time where they're really focusing and thinking about starting a family. You know, I've seen a lot of people expressing how lonely they are, they're not able to go and meet people. You, you can't even swipe left or right because you can't go and meet them. But I hadn't given it much thought until I saw a 35-year-old woman there in Victoria just saying, you know, time's running out for me to have a baby and to meet someone. So those are the two groups that kind of, of course, the elderly and all of those sorts of things as well. But those two groups in particular, my heart has really gone out for because life isn't what it should be for these two groups. What's your thoughts around that? 
I think that um, we're going to see the effects of this in years to come, that it's not all just now. It's going to, you know, especially with the younger kids, um, the kids that haven't been at school um, in Melbourne, I know with my kids, their friends, my kids are now um, 15 and 17. They're missing so many rites of passage right now. Um, you know, they're not, they're not even able to get up to the cheeky things, which normally I wouldn't want them to do. But um, normal teenager stuff, just it's challenging for a lot of people at the moment, Kim. I, I don't know what the solution is except that there's a lot of loneliness out there, a lot of sadness and um, a lot of people missing out on opportunities or, you know, life what life generally throws us and I wish I had an answer to that how to make it easier for people but I think um, it's staying connected with those you love I think it's ensuring that you live by your values every day when you live by your values um, you're aligned with with the actions you're taking and the decisions you're making and it means that to the best of your ability you're able to live a purpose-filled life and I think that's a big part of it is, is setting some sort of purpose for every day. And for those age brackets, you know, they may not be able to do things that they want and that are really important to them, but it's maybe a change of focus for the time being about, well, what can they bring into their life? What are ways, you know, this is where creativity comes in. What are ways they could meet people online, you know? Um, I've, I've heard of people having Zoom dates and meeting people on different platforms and stuff, which is kind of an interesting way of doing it. Or if they live within the assigned radius, they, they meet and go for walks instead of, you know, meeting at a bar. So people are still managing to find creative ways of doing things within the restricted lifestyle we've got. But I think when you remove that heaviness, you can bring in creativity and you can you can still try to um, or work towards bringing in some type of experience. As long as you're doing it through, by living through your values, I think that's a huge part of it. Yeah, I think it's really important and I think it's really um, an amazing thing to have a different perspective, a different viewpoint. Whenever I find myself going down the rabbit hole of, of you know, feeling for people or worried for people or whatever it is that I might feel momentarily, I just think back to my grandmother. Her husband went to war for four years, didn't know a lot of the time if he was even alive, you know. So I think, you know, I heard a speaker about six months ago going, it's a great time to be having a lockdown, you know, like, he, and his words were, you know, back in the 90s, we didn't have Netflix, at least we've got Netflix. And I just laughed at the way he he actually said, this is a great time to be having these this pandemic and just made light of the situation what do you think then as we slowly come out the other side? This won't last forever. This is definitely a reason and a season. It's not a lifetime. As we get through these next weeks, months, maybe even years as we recover from this, what do you think would be a really key thing for individuals, families, corporates, leaders to really focus on rather than feel heavy by? Sorry. I think that it's looking at what you did like about this time. And for a lot of people, it's they've loved how the slower pace, they've loved the um, socialising in the parks, 
especially in Melbourne, you know, like there's lots of picnics in the parks, there's lots of um, catching up with friends for walks. There's, it's been, it's a very different um, change of pace. It's not as fast. It's a lot slower. What I noticed here and what a lot of people in Melbourne noticed was that when we came out of our last lockdown, everyone suddenly went back into frantic mode. Oh, we can do this. We can do that. We've got to catch up. We've got to catch up. And there was this sense of busyness. And then there was a sense of, oh, I'm so tired because I'm not used to going out. And, you know, I made a promise to myself that I wouldn't be so busy again, that I would honour our family time and our weekends and I'd only do one thing, but everyone went back into old habits. So my wish for everyone moving forward was that they actually look at what they did love about this time that we had at home, you know, being living the way that we did, but ensuring that they find a way to implement that moving forward. So if it was that you loved your um, weekend picnics with friends, then continue your weekend picnics. If it was that you actually were outside more, um, continue being outside more. If it was the slower pace, then then enjoy that slower pace. Don't get caught in um, the hype of we need to be busy again because if you liked it the other way, then that's okay. It's okay to, to have that slower pace. It's okay to um, do what works for you. So I would say look at what you did enjoy. Look at um, the changes that you made. For some people it was cooking, like they've been their own little master chefs at home, but suddenly when life goes back to, to, to what was the normal, they stop cooking. So it's find those things you loved and bring them into your day still moving forward, even when we do open up, even when we are more social, still do the things that were important to you. Well, I think it's true to say that doing what you love and loving what you do is very much a big part of, of loving yourself, caring for yourself and honouring yourself. What would you say your definition of self-love is, Juliet? So I think it's got to, for me, it's about having high self-regard. It's about bringing in kindness, self-compassion, um, doing the things that you love, but not feeling guilty about it. Actually just owning who you are and going, this is me. And I love reading teen fiction, for example. That's me. <laughs> I'm going to own it because that's a part of who I am and it makes me feel good. Um, it's recognising when you're tired and going, I'm going to be kind to myself and put myself to bed right now. Um, if something hasn't gone right, it's not beating yourself up about it. It's learning from that experience and going, all right, I'll bring in that self-compassion and go, I've learnt from that. I'll make sure it doesn't happen again. So for me, when you have high self-respect, high self-regard, bringing that love to yourself that you give to others, but when you bring it into you, that's what, that's what self-love is. Treating yourself like you're your best friend because ultimately you are the longest relationship you're going to have with anyone in life. So beautifully said. What do you think your two children have learnt from watching your journey? Maybe even Stewie too. What do you think they've learnt from watching your change over the last five to seven years? What do you think their biggest takeaways are from watching you? My kids have learned um, 
how to put themselves in the equation, how to factor in their own need when making decisions. They've learned to back themselves, to dream big. They've learned that we're human and we make mistakes and that that's okay. My kids have got a very special outlook on life and I've really developed within them a love for themselves and a respect that they have for themselves. I've offered a space of non-judgment for them so that they can truly shine and be their own little versions of whoever they are and whoever they want to be in life. And I think that um, there's something special in that, that trust that they have within themselves. I think that's what they've learned, Kim. That was a long way of getting there. But I learned how to trust myself and I think I've, I've, been slowly teaching them how to trust themselves. One of the greatest gifts you can give your children is the love and respect of your of their father or their mother, and also the love and respect of self. And I think you, my love, have shown them definitely how to trust in life, how to step outside your comfort zone, which is something that I've really watched you learn to fall in love with more and more. <laughs> And what I've also really loved is the birthing and amazing premises you've built at the Revitalised Centre, which I've had the privilege of speaking at. Could you tell us a little bit about the business that you've built and exactly what you offer in that beautiful place? Yeah, absolutely. So um, three years ago, I opened up the Revitalised Centre, which is a wellness centre. And the current offerings we have here are psychotherapy, we have traditional Chinese medicine, both herbal and acupuncture. We have um, myotherapy slash musculoskeletal therapy slash if you have any pain, this is the guy to see. He's <laughs> amazing. Um, and then also myself at the moment, so all of my life coaching, leadership coaching, um, as well as I offer kinesiology. Um. So this is a such a great little space here. We've got the four practitioner rooms. We've always got your beautiful oils, actually, Kimmy. Romance and Intimacy is the one that we're, that's the hot one at the moment. Um, <laughs> it's a good one. It's a beautiful space here. It's a place where people can come in and just relax, unwind and unload. Um, I've put my heart and soul into here. I absolutely love it. Um, when my kids walk in, they just, there's the Zen place because it's full of plants, um, soft blues and greys. It's just, it's a place where you really can just unswitch, like turn off and, and um, connect in with yourself. Yeah, you've really created a, a haven. And I think what's so beautiful about it, there's no accident with the timing of this and although it's not probably fully booked with clients in there physically, mm. you do offer a lot and everything almost online and on Zoom too. How can people get in touch with you if they want to know more or even hopefully if you're not too booked to be coached by you and supported by you for their own emotional intelligence and growth? Yeah, so the best place to find me um, would be you can go and check out my website. So 
Juliet Dyer, which is J-U-L-I-E-T-D-Y-E-R.com. And that's got all the information you need to learn about what it is that I offer, about the emotional intelligence side of things, how my coaching can help. Um, and there's links on that site too to the Revitalize Centre um, so that you can then have a look at all the offerings of the practitioners that we have here and there's links to, to be able to book everything on there as well. Um, and then on all the socials as well, so Instagram, um, and I think, Kimmy, I'll send you all those links and you can put them in the little um, in the blurb section. Channel. Yeah, yeah, it would yeah. be really cool because your newsletter, your the way that you portray the information, your photos, everything you do just, I don't know, it just brings around that sense of calm. And the <laughs> word that you've used a lot uh, at the beginning when we were chatting today and I, I do believe in all the chaos, in all the upheaval, in all the, like you said it before, you know, the causation of anger, frustration, disharmony, all of those things through the unknown and confusion and all of those states. One of the most profound states to really trust and find that guidance within is the sense of calm. And I was just wondering if you had any tips or any um, suggestions that, don't cost a lot of time or money that would allow us to find that sense of calm with ease, no matter where we are. Yeah. I think it's adopting a practice of transitioning into different spaces. So, you know, when, you've, when you're leaving one space, it might be about having a minute. So if you're going from one meeting to another or you're going, you're about to pick up the kids before you get out of the car, it's like, having a moment to close your eyes, focus on some breathing and then think about, well, how do I want to show up in this next moment? Um, you know, how do I want to stand? How do I want to present myself? How do I, you know, I want to be clear. I want to be loving. I want to articulate myself well. Whatever, whatever it is, it's having those moments where you can just pause, focus inwards, and what that, do, what, what that does is it slows down the whole nervous system. Um, and before you know it, you've just gone into a little mindfulness activity there just by focusing on that breath. And it can be one minute, two minutes. It doesn't need to be long, but you've, you've calmed your nervous system down and then you've set your mindset up for that next space so that you can show up in a way that you choose. So then again, you're responsive, not reactive. I think what that does too is sets a strong intention and almost energetically creates boundaries for yourself because then it doesn't matter what you walk into or what, because we can't control what's outside of us. But I really appreciate what you're saying around our response rather than our reaction. Mm. Could you just explain to us just one more time how we can, if we found ourselves triggered or we do walk into mayhem or kids fighting or husband unhappy or boss yelling or any of those situations, whilst I appreciate breath can be really good that we've done before we walk in, in that moment when the amygdala gets triggered and wants to react, what is the one thing we can do in that moment when everything is going around us chaotically? So the biggest thing is to pause. Um, you've got to actually flip your brain back over into your wise owl so you can choose how you want to show up. So, you know, Mel Robin talks about um, counting backwards, five, four, three, two, one, because it actually makes you use that front part of your brain. Um, it can be about 
just stopping like you can you physically if you can feel yourself about to say or blurt something out it's just having a minute it might even be walking in and walking back out of the room <laughs> sorry <laughs> so that you don't react um it might be for some people they've got a piece of jewelry on their wrist or something that they you know they can feel it's about noticing that reaction within yourself feel that reaction starting to come up and it might be that they hold that piece of jewelry that they've got around their wrist or play with the ring on their finger um you need to find the thing that works for you and the thing is right this is where self-compassion and self-kindness come in you are human you're going to stuff up it's it's inevitable, right? But it's about not beating yourself up when you do stuff up. It's about going, okay, what worked, what didn't work? What am I going to do differently next time? I would love to ask you then in that situation, one of the things that um, I found myself doing, and I've just realised what it is by what you're saying, is I go deathly silent. And even that in itself, is a response that other people don't expect. And so your deathly silence and just looking with a mindset of curiosity, like, wow, and my two favorite words are, that's interesting. And I just keep saying into my head, that's interesting. And what I found over doing that, even in itself with that pause, actually creates a reaction I didn't expect because you can't add fuel to a fire that's not burning. And I think sometimes our silence can be the greatest um, peacemaker, the greatest words, the greatest thing to articulate. Have you found silence then is one of those methods? And could that also be something you'd recommend from a therapy point of view? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because you're not fueling the fire. You're not poking the bear, right? But what you've just said, Kim, what you say, um, that's interesting comment, even having a mantra that you repeat, you repeat to yourself. So if you walk into something, right, like say the kids are going off at you or whatever it might be, if you just take a moment to have, it, have your mantras ready, so one of them that I repeat is that this is not about me, so that if my kids are having an emotional outburst, the minute I take it personally, I'm going to poke that bear. Sorry. <laughs> Pausing, not talking um, is huge because you just, you're letting them get it all out. Um, saying what you're saying, that's interesting. You're not fueling it. So once they've got it out, it's out and they'll then storm off. But that's another big thing, right? When someone is in the middle of an emotional outburst, that is not time to discipline them or to talk to them about their behaviour. <laughs> I'm just picturing it. Oh, my goodness, that is not the time. Let them cool off, go into their room later and go, hey, what was that about? (laughs) Right, so the minute we disconnect from their outburst, it puts us in a position where we haven't taken it personally and we can actually explore and be curious about, hey, what's going on for you? Are you okay? Yeah, I really like that. This is not about me. I've always tried to teach my kids and clients that whenever somebody is attacking you, saying mean things, it could be on social media, it could be judging you or whatever, it's really not about you at all. It is about their perception on what they believe to be true. And if we can just realise and understand that every one of us has a viewpoint and every one of us, even if we try not to judge, it is a natural human trait, but becoming that observer of self, becoming aware of what we're saying and how we're responding 
I think the work that you're doing is profound in growing our spiritual and emotional intelligence. I think what you're talking about is incredibly powerful from not only an individual point of view, but your work in the work life that you lead and leadership. At the beginning, you talked about leadership roles and things, but as you so aptly also said, that can cross over into parenthood. That can be in relationships. And I think this amazing um, offerings that you have really lies in any aspect and any place in our lives. And I just want to hug you up. I cannot wait to one day catch up with you again in Melbourne and maybe one day we stand on stage together again and actually really share what we've both learned over this last decade in particular. And I just want to say to you how proud I am um, from that woman crying at the back of that room some maybe seven, eight years ago to who you are today. It is a real credit to your ability to get up, to continuously get up and stay in action, work on yourself, believe in yourself to do that and keep up that curious inquiring mindset to be a better person, to be a better version of you. And I just want to say thank you for sharing all of that on today's self-love podcast you are a remarkable woman thank you you're so kind (laughs) that's just beautiful Kimmy but I I have to acknowledge that you started me you know on this journey of, of learning how to put myself back in that equation I'll be forever grateful for that because it's now something that I get to teach and to help facilitate with all of my clients so thank you from the bottom of my heart It's that beautiful ripple effect, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. To close, I was wondering if you would have a beautiful favourite quote of yours or something like that that you could share with us. Yeah, so one of my favourite quotes, and this is one that I've used through my whole personal development journey from is, don't talk yourself out of greatness. And... What I love about that quote for me personally, it's about not allowing fear to rule my decisions. So whenever I'm thinking I can't do something or if I'm filled with self-doubt, that's what I repeat to myself is don't talk yourself out of greatness. (laughs) Such beautiful words. A final message to the Self-Love Podcast listener, what would that be? One of the things that I repeat nearly daily with most of my clients is bring in self-kindness, bring in self-love, bring in self-compassion. And if you bring that in every day, you will develop the most beautiful relationship with self. And when you have a beautiful relationship with self, that will then blossom into beautiful relationships with others. Absolute magical words. Juliet Dyer, thank you from the bottom of my heart for being on the Self Love Podcast. Cannot wait to see you in person. Take care, sweetheart. Thank you, darling. Big hugs. Thanks for listening to the Self Love Podcast. Be sure to write a review and share the love with your friends and family. And head over and visit Kim and her team at 28.com. That's the word 20 and the number 8.com. Take good care.
This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.